0: We are actually the solution to poverty. Community is the solution to poverty. In fact, community is God's chosen solution to poverty. Like even if you go back to Deuteronomy 15 and everybody thinks you're gonna hear verse 11, which is, we'll always have the poor among us. Well, there is verse four that says, there need be no poor among us. That precedes all of the things that we could do to make sure that that happens. And we have been given dominion as human beings, made in God's image over all of this. So it's kind of up to us. And we need to own that, and not own that in a guilt-ridden way, but with, with hope and energy, and to take a fresh look at the people in front of us, listen to them, understand their needs, and then start to figure out new ways of meeting them. And that may mean throwing away old systems.
1: Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Shalane, and we're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Angie Peters' 33-year career began with 16 years as a senior executive in telecommunications before she shifted her focus to investing in people who are marginalized. She founded and led Zoe Alliance, a for-profit social enterprise that worked internationally prior to joining Youngstreet Mission as President and CEO in 2013. Since then, she has set the organization on an intentional path toward the end of chronic poverty in Toronto by catalyzing collaboration and inspiring belief in the possibility of each person. Angie, it's great to have you with me here today. Thank you for being here.
0: It's great to be here. Thanks, Shalane. Looking forward to our conversation.
1: Yes, I am too. Angie, we are beginning season two by asking each of our guests if they would answer the question, "What does it mean to thrive?" So, if we could just start there, uh, I would appreciate hearing what you have to say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we we uh, we tend to use this this phrase, going from surviving to thriving. Mm. And um, when you work uh, in the work that we do, in the people that we support and walk alongside. Many of them are just surviving. They're just mm. kind of getting by. And, um, and so what does thriving mean? And, and I think it's connected to seeing people kind of the way God sees them, as best as we can. Mm. Uh, one of the scriptures I really like is Ephesians 2.10 because it talks about God creating good works in advance for us to do. Mm. And I can't think of any better picture of thriving than that, being in the middle of what that is. And yet people aren't able to access that or they don't even see it in themselves or they don't believe in themselves enough to hope anymore because of life circumstances and life's experiences. I think of a woman named Susan who first came to YSM in her 40s and had come out of a lifetime of generational poverty, had come out of the foster care system in multiple homes and was literally just in the in the surviving category mm, mm-hmm. right she just and had been so wounded and traumatized by her life journey that she really just kind of wanted to shrink mm. like she didn't want to make anybody angry she didn't want to talk mm-hmm. she just wanted to like sneak into the room get the services sneak out hopefully nobody notices her hopefully nobody gets mad at her mm. you know that was kind of her posture and she lived in a rooming house and she didn't even have a room she slept in the floor in the middle of her room and she felt that was good enough for her Hmm. because it matched her self-image Wow! right that's horrible it is
1: horrible it's so
0: sad and so the journey through a few years of just intentionally seeing susan wanting to hear what susan had to say Mm -hmm. you know and walking that gently through and and counseling and all kinds of other supports Hmm. workshops and what have you you know, you fast forward and, and, and during the pandemic, the first year of the pandemic, she got married. Wow. And she's studying to be a personal support worker and hmm. she shows up strong and proud and ready to engage everybody with great eye contact and confidence. And so she's on her way. The trick was, what was the difference maker? Yeah. It was-, was when she started to see herself hmm. the way that we were seeing her. Mm-hmm. And the way that God sees her Hmm. until she could see it herself. And then when she started to believe it a bit, everything Mm -hmm. changed.
1: Mm -hmm. What a beautiful story. Angie, you have referred to we, you've referred to walking with people. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about who is the we, who is YSM, and just there may be some listeners who actually are not familiar with YSM at all.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, so Young Street Mission is Toronto-based. We've got a Toronto focus. We're 125 years old, so we, we just celebrated our 125th anniversary this past year, and we were founded in 1896 by John Coolidge Davis, who was a Baptist minister back in the day when the social gospel movement was sweeping North America, and missions like ours were being set up. And wow, that's uh, quite
1: the legacy you've got.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. It's and yeah. we, did a, we had a fun celebration this year. And so we are, were founded to serve the poor and vulnerable in Toronto. Mm. And uh, in the words of our founder, really to be, you know, between the preachers and the people. His view mm. was that a lot of people wouldn't walk into a church. Right. For various reasons. And yet it was the church's mandate to step out into the streets mm. and actually be there. And fulfill sort of the Matthew 25 mandate mm-hmm. of, uh, of very actively and practically helping mm-hmm. to meet the needs of people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's 125 years later, we're a lot bigger.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We have a campus of five buildings in Regent Park that serves Regent Park, Moss Park, and St. Jamestown. And if you add up the uh, the populations of those communities living under the low-income measure after taxes, it actually represents the highest density, low-income community in North America
1: mm, in North so America not even yeah. just Canada yeah wow so it's
0: pretty high density and then the other building that we have is our building that is uh, purpose-built for street-involved youth mm-hmm. called Evergreen and that's on Spadina now and um, and that's a fun one that's it's it's uh, it's a building that pretty much has everything in it that a street-involved youth would need to move off the street and forward in their lives with the exception mm. of housing we, we work with housing partners.
1: Okay. So yeah. can you just give me an idea when you say everything street-involved youth would need, what might that include?
0: It just starts with a welcoming open door. Um, mm-hmm. So we have a very low barrier approach to entry. Mm-hmm. Youth can come in. They don't really have to tell us their real names if they don't feel like it. They don't even really have mm-hmm. to talk to us if, they don't, if they're comfortable
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and receive you know, food and a warm place to sit and just feel safe. Mm. Um, clothing, showers, laundry—all of that, like the very pure basics. Mm-hmm, very practical. Uh, as, as practical at the beginning, and then as relationships are built with staff, as comfort is built with the mm-hmm. environment, then you know, then everything else is there too. So there's a counselor on the floor, mental health counselor on the floor. Mm-hmm. And there are care managers who work with individuals, help to understand them, help them to work towards their goals as they're able to sort of realize them and state them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have a health center floor. We've got dental services. We've got employment services, housing supports, education supports, you name it.
1: Mm -hmm. One of the things that I caught early on in your comments there is, as our staff have opportunity to build relationship with people, and that just really resonates We at Food for the Hungry, that's the essence of how we do our work internationally is because we believe that that changing to the place of sustainable and thriving, sustainability and thriving, comes out of relationship. And I noticed on your website that you use the Excel model. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, because I think it really connects to this whole idea of development. I think oftentimes people think of development as something that only happens internationally. And so I'd love to just have you expand a little bit on what is what is development and what does it look like here in Canada in the in the work you're doing?
0: Hmm, that's a great question. Um... Yeah, and you've tapped into like when you mentioned the Excel model—that's mm-hmm. our model for our community development work. Mm-hmm. Our model for working with individuals is Rise. So okay, tell yeah, me. yeah. So um, we our theory of change is like a if you can picture a pyramid with three levels, and at the base is changing lives. So mm-hmm. our model for working with people is respond, invite, support, and engage, and our services are are, are kind of mapped to that, that model of walking mm-hmm. with people. And then the next layer is building communities and the last layer is transforming Toronto. And in building communities, because we think you have to work at all three levels simultaneously mm-hmm. to realize our goal of ending mm-hmm. chronic poverty. Because people can do all their best work to heal mm-hmm. and move forward and build capacity and, and start to work towards their, their goals. Um, but they will bump up against barriers in community. Mm-hmm. We know that. Mm-hmm. And they will bump up against barriers in the system. Sure. So in community development, what we do with Excel is we actually, it is actually, because I was in international development before I was here. Mm-hmm. It's sort of our leave the village strategy. Mm. Um, so we engage. So E is for engage. Mm-hmm. Existing resident
1: leaders. Okay. So you're identifying people who are already in the community who already have the respect of others or are in some way acting as leaders is that what you're acting as to?
0: leaders or have something that they want to do they're invested in community and we okay. have a asset-based community development approach where sure. we believe that people have value to bring yeah they're not objects for receive receipt of our services right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and so we, we we identify those leaders we work with them so we engage we x x is for explore we help them explore uh, more fully what it is that they want to do mm. and the difference that they want to make. Mm-hmm. And then we help the CS for convene. We help them convene people and resources around that. But then we help them to start to do the work, right? Uh-huh. And then ultimately to launch. Mm-hmm. And so our staff in the community development side are very much focused on, you know, kind of standing behind and, and, and mm-hmm. supporting others to do what it is that they want to do without Uh, indicating what they should do.
1: Mm, mm -hmm. So
0: it's a a capacity building posture Mm -hmm. for individuals and groups that want to do good things.
1: Okay. And do you want to speak a little bit more to the RISE piece? Sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that is, we've noticed that with the work that we do, and I'm sure you have as well and many of your listeners, but a lot of the work with people who have been in poverty for a long time, or kind of deeply traumatized, there's a lot of work to do before you sign somebody up for an academic class or mm. an employment program, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of personal work to do. Yeah. And in our model, that's the R and the I. It's the respond and the invite. And I we mm. think actually about 80% of our work happens in that space. Mm. And, uh, and it's really, it's like Susan's story, right? Mm-hmm. It's the couple years of When she comes to a meal, making a point of sitting down at the table and asking her what was going on and being, you know, being willing to, you know, hear Mm -hmm. her, which is a surprising thing from her standpoint,
1: right? Mm -hmm. Well, especially if it's a genuine interest, because I think a lot of people feel like, well, you're asking me because you want something from me or I need to respond in order to get something that I need. But this idea that you're actually genuinely connecting because you care and you want to build relationship, I think that's pretty foreign.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so that those response based services are all our relief based services, but mm-hmm. it's within that context of getting to know the person and and helping them to get to know themselves. Mm-hmm. And then the I or the invitational services to healing. So when somebody's kind of ready, right, they can go into formal counseling if that's appropriate or into any of our workshops. Hmm. around basic skills development and that sort of thing that, that just kind of gets a person to a place where, and this is what I always think is the magic moment, hmm. when someone is verbalized, They say, well, you know, I kind of always wanted to. Ah. And they fill in the blank because then there's hope there.
1: Yes, that long suppressed dream or childhood yeah. longing that yeah. actually gets to surface.
0: Yeah, and so yeah. then... Well then you know if you throw in the employment supports or the other supports at that point they're going to stick Mm -hmm. uh, because the person has built enough um, sense of self-worth and awareness uh, and hope to to stick with whatever it is that comes next
1: and has it would seem to me experienced enough sense of support and safety because that's a pretty vulnerable thing to tap into what those longings and those dreams are, and if you f- have forever felt like it's not possible, then why would you even go there? It's just a, a heartache and a disappointment so it it sounds very much to me like you're creating a safe place for people
0: absolutely and that's what we want to that's then that's kind of goes right back to our founder and and really what's carried through the decades is um Really, really just going out. You know, we're going out out of the context of our identity and and, and our calling and our mandate. Mm. Uh, But but to be completely safe for anybody, no matter what their situation is, Mm -hmm. just like Jesus was.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Now, when you're talking about those three layers of the triangle and they're all working together... Systems. I mean, we are in a season in culture, in history, where systems are under fire and there's systems that have been chronically broken for a long time. How do you approach that? How do you approach systemic change?
0: Well, I like what you said at the beginning, one bite at a time or in small mm. bites or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. bite-sized um, ways. I mean, I think first you have to start with knowing your organization and where your strengths and gifts are. You know, nobody can, nobody is the answer to everything, mm-hmm. uh, clearly. And so uh, it emerged for us. We started looking for where's the avenue of advocacy that we would be able to and be equipped to uh, help make a meaningful difference, mm-hmm. to change mm-hmm. a policy that would make a, me- a meaningful difference mm-hmm. in the system, and what would that be? So we've been talking about this for several years, through the leadership, and we had ideas, but then it kind of emerges mm-hmm. at a certain point. And for us, it emerged in a partnership with Children's Aid Society in Toronto, mm-hmm. because we organized around the population groups that we support, so our cornerstone group works with families in crisis. Okay and what was different a little bit about the way that we work with families is that we would work with the whole family. So the whole family mm-hmm. has a care manager mm-hmm. and the whole family has goals and then each individual has goals. Mm-hmm. And we the the care manager is supporting all of that. Wow. And it was leading to pretty fantastic outcomes for people. So So we ended up with this massive... Marcia Shelton is the director who designed and built that, and she's just brilliant. And mm-hmm. immediately, her team was inundated with a waiting list mm-hmm. uh, of people sending us families that, that they wanted us to work with. Um, mm-hmm. And in, in the course of that, Children's Aid was in their own journey. And I want to give Children's Aid a lot of credit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They were realizing, they were sort of analyzing their own outcomes, and they were realizing that they have a disproportionate number of, of placements into care, of children from black family households mm-hmm. and indigenous family households. Mm-hmm. And our our cornerstone group was working with a lot of black families. So they reached out and said, you know, can we work together to try to change this? And what emerged was our program where we have jointly funded shared staff. Mm-hmm. And when somebody calls children's aid on a family, instead of that person starting an investigation, They send the family to us. Okay. And then our care manager goes in and starts to try to understand. Children's aid has almost always been called on somebody because of a condition of poverty, not Mm. because the parent doesn't want to be a good parent. So, for example, I don't know if you've had a boy. I had a boy, and he had years where he just grew. I have three boys, actually. Like crazy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. They're like and weeds. <laughs> yeah.
0: Keeping keeping the pants the right length is a challenge at a certain point, right? And shoes. And oh my shoes. Goodness. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, like, so many things that might look like neglect mm-hmm. are actually connected to poverty. And so our care manager goes in and you know deals with all of these things. And the goal is the mutual goal of children's aid and ourselves is to keep the children in the home mm. unless there's a real reason to pull them out, right? Um, and then also to to shorten the period of time for reunification. Okay. Uh, so we're working on those two things, and we are using our measurement and evaluation system to kind of track the interventions that are making the biggest difference. Hmm. And then together, Children's Aid and YSM can take that to the ministry, the Ontario ministry mm-hmm. the funder, and say, we have proof. Hmm. That this works, mm-hmm. which means these are the services you should be funding. Because mm-hmm. uh, the system change issue is this Children's Aid is funded on the basis of the number of children they have in care.
1: Wow. Wow. So the funding, I don't want to know, should I say funding motivation comes then? Right. By number of children in care? Yeah. Wow. That's, that's unsettling at best. Yeah, yeah. Wow.
0: So the shift, if we can get that shift, which we believe we can. I
1: mean, we mm-hmm. probably
0: have another couple of years to work to do together to kind of mm-hmm. mobilize that. And I have monthly calls with the CEO at, at Children's Aid as we kind of just keep trying, how are we doing? And Yeah. You know, how should we tweak this and, and so on? But with the view of to the day when we will be ready to walk a package in yes. and say, this is, uh, like we'll have checkpoints with the government along the way so they know what we're up to. But mm-hmm. walk the package in and say... Here it Mm -hmm. is. Here's your evidence. Because I believe what the government needs from us, what the system needs for us, is for us to show up with the answer.
1: Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. we're the experts. They're
0: not. They're too far from the ground.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're talking about creating the monitoring and evaluation. You're doing that. You're assessing how these things are going. You're going to be able to document that, create a data package. I would love to hear anecdotal evidence that you have, what kind of stories what kind of change are you seeing in the lives of these families who you're being able to walk with on this journey
0: it's amazing right like we'll see a family like a single mom Mm -hmm. right who is living in a shelter right and Mm. at risk of losing her children because she's in a shelter Mm. with all kinds of sort of relational trauma yeah kind of kind of um, begin to flourish, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and end up, end up getting a job and being mm-hmm. in a rent income apartment and, you know, just kind of being on that journey. I mean, it's slow and it's step by step. There's no sure. sort of, you know, rags to riches. Stri- yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, where there's just the realization, like the appreciation that comes from just listening mm-hmm. rather than judging. Mm-hmm. and understanding and then bringing tangible supports. One yeah. of the things that makes the biggest difference actually is our mentoring program. We have a family-to-family mentoring program. Okay, tell me. Um, and when, when the families that we're walking alongside kind of are at a stage of readiness, we seek to pair them with another family as a mentor. And mm-hmm. with this family, the family that we're, that is the mentee family, mm-hmm. having a clear sense of what their learning objectives are. Mm. Right. So one of Mm -hmm. one of the young women, her goal was, uh, and this was the single mom. She she had three children and she had three children from different dads. And there was all kinds of story that went behind that. But when she got to this stage in her development, she she said, you know, I want to be paired with someone that I can learn from uh, about what a healthy relationship looks like. Mm. So I don't make the same mistakes again. Mm-hmm. And I want to learn about parenting, right? Okay. And so things like that. And so yeah. that kind of supercharges a person's growth and development because now they're dealing mm-hmm. with someone who's not a paid professional like us, which is yeah. wonderful, but, but not as wonderful as real community.
1: Well, it still feels like a a, a one-down position to be in when you're working yeah. with somebody who is paid to be there, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. So then this is the beginning of a transition to – Bridging people into healthy community mm-hmm. and and forming other relationships that will carry them through the next era when they don't need us anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I know we touched on this earlier, but it's just to me, it feels like it's so central to this whole discussion where you talk about the mentees' goals, the person who is marginalized and vulnerable, what do they want? That that's such a different model than is so often used in poverty alleviation. Yeah, and I
0: think it's, I, you know, I mean, and I think this comes to my sense of the system, right? We, we've gotten sort of wrapped up in our own system and mm. lost, and lost in it, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. nobody meant for that to happen. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, our, the social system that we have today was created post-World War II, based on a model from the UK by Sir William Beveridge. And it's, you know, it it proliferated around the world. And it did a lot of good for a lot of decades. Mm. But it was designed for what poverty looked like then. And poverty looks very different now. And the world looks very different now. And the economy and jobs and everything looks Mm -hmm. very different now. So Mm -hmm. we shouldn't be terribly surprised Mm -hmm. that it's not.
1: Working that an archaic system isn't working with today, and the hope in that is,
0: if we created that groundbreaking way of doing things back in the '40s mm-hmm. that had decades of significant impact, mm-hmm. then we can create something better now.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So tell me what what does that look like? What are you What are you considering these days? What are you dreaming? that this could look like?
0: There's no easy answer to this, right? Because mm-hmm. we know how complex everything is. Mm-hmm. So I think the way that I'm thinking about it is about mobilizing each of us, right? Where where our mindset shifts to, you know, we are actually the solution to poverty. Community is a solution to poverty. Mm-hmm. In fact, community is God's chosen solution to poverty. Mm-hmm. Like even if you go back to Deuteronomy 15 and everybody thinks you're going to hear verse 11, which is we'll always have the poor among us. Right. Well, there is verse 4 that says there need be no poor among us mm. that precedes all of the things that we could do to make sure that that happens mm. and we have been given dominion as human beings made mm-hmm. god's image over all of this so so it's kind of up to us yeah and uh, and we need to own that and not own that in a guilt-ridden way mm-hmm. but with hope and energy mm-hmm. and to take a fresh look at the people in front of us mm-hmm listen to them, understand mm-hmm. their needs, and then mm-hmm. start to figure out new ways of meeting them. And that may mean throwing away old systems. Yeah, uh, I think one of our biggest challenges may be we're trying to tweak
1: what we have. Mm, as opposed to discarding and starting fresh.
0: Yeah. yeah. There's great opportunities out there if we get creative. I'm, I'm hosting um, in May uh, something called a Poverty Hackathon. Okay. And I'm bringing together stakeholders from... Um, you know, the different groups that hold some of the levers in society that can make yep. a difference. And we're going to be having a hackathon around one particular sort of framed poverty problem to see what people can come up with. And I think we just need to do that, kind of throw out mm-hmm. throw out, uh, or set aside our understanding of our, our current systems and think freshly mm-hmm. with the people that we're trying to serve at the center of that conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. Angie, when we were prepping for our time together you made the statement, nobody wants it to be like this or something like that. And that has been rattling around in my head, even as we're chatting. What do you mean by that? Where does that take you in terms of your thinking right now? Yeah, well, I
0: mean, it's very connected to what I just said to you. It's sort of our posture was one mm-hmm. of grace. Mm. And uh, we don't think this person's greedy or that person's lazy or this, that, the other thing. We just basically recognize that nobody would want a society with this kind of inequality. Hmm. Nobody would want a society where many of our neighbors are marginalized. Mm -hmm. I've never met a businessman who who said, gee, I want to build a business that is thriving and growing and super successful. And I want all my entry-level employees to need to go to a food bank to survive right wow yeah that that just doesn't nobody wants that if you ask people to describe the community we want yeah it would be different than what we have Mm -hmm. which kind of leads me to the conclusion that we must be acting in ways that are leading to outcomes that Mm -hmm. are not aligned with our values
1: Mm -hmm.
0: any of our values Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which really leads to this question of well what can we do to change
1: that yeah yeah so then my question to you, Angie, would be, what can we do to change that? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I and set with, myself
0: up for that one. <laughs> yeah.
1: And with that, we will wrap up our time because it has gone so quickly. But sure, what what do we do to change that? Mm-hmm. I think that we should each be ambassadors
0: and go first. Mm-hmm. And by be ambassadors, I mean educate ourselves. Like learn what we need to learn to understand Um the bad aspect of poverty that most breaks our hearts. Mm -hmm. Learn what we need to learn and Mm -hmm. and then start doing something Mm -hmm. and share what we've learned with everybody around us. Mm -hmm. If each person helped one person move out of poverty, Mm. this would be done. Yeah.
1: You know, the founder of Food for the Hungry, his philosophy was people die one at a time so they can be saved one at a time. That's right. And that yeah. seems very, our, our our organizations are very much in alignment on on these basic philosophical pieces. I also appreciate how you are putting into words the practical, how we can actually practically make a difference. And it's very much connected to that, isn't it? It's the one person at a time. What can I do? And then who can I be re- in relationship with
0: yeah and we all have something to give we have something called our give six campaign that we launched in our 125th year
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's it's give six because we're in the six Toronto is the six mm. um and we basically say everybody has something to give wherever you are and mm-hmm. and it could be as simple as if you speak another language ah yes and you want to give six coffee language coaching sessions to someone who is trying to get business equivalent English skills so they can Mm -hmm. get a job, you could help a foreign trained professional move out of poverty. Wow. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, that's just one simple, like, there's so many of them. Yeah. And we think it's really complicated. And it can be. And Mm -hmm. there are specialists who need to do the really hard stuff. For sure. But there's so much that isn't like that, that people can do.
1: Yeah. And I think when we approach those kinds of connections with humility, to recognize that I have as much to learn as I am probably more that I need to learn than I have to give, then we can see the relational piece not being transactional, but being more of a mutual kind of benefit to everybody involved. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Anything else that you were hoping I would ask you today before we wrap up?
0: No, I mean, I have just really enjoyed the conversation. I love what you're doing. I love your organization and what it stands for. And it's just a privilege to, to be a part of the work. I hope that this inspires
1: people. Mm -hmm. The one last question I would have for you, if someone's listening today and they have been inspired and they want to learn more, what's the best way for them to connect with YSM or to get more information, perhaps even about volunteering or being involved?
0: Sure. Yeah. And so if you go to Mm ysm.ca, it's pretty easy to find the volunteer button, like to drop down. And then there are are listed current opportunities, but also a place to click there to get in touch with someone. Great. Um, And really lots of information there about many ways that you can be involved.
1: Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time that you've taken and Just have so much respect for the work that you're doing. So we just pray that um, you will continue to find ways to meet people on that individual level and then also be involved in the systemic change that's that's happening. So thanks again for being here.
0: Thank you so much, Joanne. It's been wonderful.
1: To explore what your next steps could be, or find out more about Young Street Mission and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org/resources.